Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to be in our midst in these very moments, that our eyes, our hearts, our understandings would be opened, and that through the work of the Spirit, you would impress your word into us. Help us, Father, to believe and to trust and to love you in greater and greater ways and conform us more and more into that which is like our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past 44 years or so, our family has gone down to a little hole-in-the-wall place in Florida uh, to do our family vacations. It really is nothing to look at. Uh, But it's become a special place for us as a family. And one of the things that uh, makes it so special is that it's right on the ocean. It's right next to the beach. And so a, a significant part of being at this place each year that we go is either sitting or walking on the beach. It's part of the Atlantic Ocean, on the Atlantic Ocean side. And one of the things that I found true very early on as I was younger was that you really have to pay attention. You have to look closely and watch where you're walking on the beach. There are a number of things that can be in your path and in your way that can cause some fairly significantly bad consequences. I remember when I was younger, the two main things that we had to watch out for were, first of all, black tar on the beach. Uh, It was either because of oil spillages out in the ocean or just seepage coming out of the ground where oil and gas would come up that it would congeal and then eventually make its way to the beach and there'd be these little round balls of black tar and if you weren't watching where you were walking you could step on one and it would stick to your foot and it'd become a mess to have to deal with. Or another thing that I remember from being a, a younger boy were, were these hard shell crabs that would bury themselves in the sand just on the edge of the water. And if you weren't watching, you, if you were watching, you could see them just a little bit. But if you weren't watching and you could step on them, if you weren't quick enough, you might get a little snip. Now, those things don't seem to be as much of a, of a big deal anymore when we go to the beach. But there are other things like sharp shells that you could step on, uh, or jellyfish on the beach, or other uh, wildlife that has been brought onto shore. Or occasionally there are these shelves of sand that if you're not watching carefully, you can actually just walk off a shelf and fall into the sand. You have to be careful. You have to watch where you're going. You have to look carefully. And if you don't, you might get your foot cut or stung, or you might fall down Or you possibly could even end up with some black tar on the bottom of your foot. You have to watch carefully how you walk. 
And that's what Paul's talking about here in this passage. It's actually exactly what he says at the beginning of verse 15. Look carefully, watch carefully how you walk, he says. It's the fifth time and the last time that he's going to mention this idea of walking. Uh, Beginning in chapter 4, he's mentioned it five times now. And our passage today really serves as a summary or a climax of all of these walking passages that he's been talking about. And we've talked in the past weeks about how when he talks about walking, he's using it as a picture, as almost like a metaphor of how we are to be living the Christian life. How we're to take what he has told us in chapters 1 through 3 and apply this wonderful, deep gospel theological truth into our lives and walk it out into how we live in this world. And Paul says, look carefully. It's an imperative. It's a command. And the word there, look carefully, has the sense of something done accurately. Something done with precision. Paying close attention. Being diligent. Paul's saying, look carefully. Look with precision. Look with close attention to what? To how you walk. To how you live. To how you work out your faith into daily living. And what does Paul say about how we can carefully walk? What does he tell us about how it should look like? Now, I know you can't tell from the English translation, but verses 15 through 21 are all one long sentence in the Greek. And it actually gets a little complicated when you look at all the phrases and how he juxtaposes all these different ideas. In the English, they've tried to simplify it a little bit for us. But I'm going to suggest to you today that there are two main things that Paul is telling us here about how we can watch closely, how we can look carefully at how we live the Christian life, how we walk. First of all, he's going to tell us that it includes growing in wisdom. And then secondly, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these two things about what he tells us, what it looks like to walk or to look carefully about how we walk. The first thing is that we are to be growing in wisdom. That's what he says right after he tells them to look carefully how they walk. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, what does Paul mean by wisdom? When we think of wisdom, we think of having discernment about choosing one thing or another or knowing what direction to go or 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 having some kind of uh, of a sense of what we're supposed to do in a moment. That's not wrong. But Paul has something else in mind when he uses this word wisdom. All we need to do is just turn back a page or so and remind ourselves of the times he's already used the word wisdom and what it is connected to. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, he says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There he's connecting this idea of wisdom as something that Christians need to have from God so that we will understand this wonderful overarching plan of redemption, plan of reconciliation between God and his people where he unites all things together in Christ. A little bit further in chapter 1, verses 17 and following, he uses the word wisdom again. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Wisdom is connected with this idea that the, the, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and opened up and we would truly understand God's wonderful plan for His people. His plan of redemption and reconciliation, of drawing people to Himself. He goes on in chapter 3 in verses 8 and following to use it again. There Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This idea of wisdom being God's wisdom that is revealed through the church, his plan of redemption for the nations. When Paul is talking about this idea of wisdom, he's talking about an understanding, a a grasp of God's plan for his people of redemption and salvation. How he is reconciling his people to himself through the the work of Jesus Christ. How that knowledge and understanding of what God is doing would so impact our lives that our lives would be different and be changed for the glory and the purpose of God. So when Paul is talking here about being careful of how we walk and he tells us that we are to be wise, part of what he is telling us is that we are to be growing in this understanding of what God is doing, what God has accomplished, the work that he is doing. And notice Paul explains that a little bit more in verse 17 by telling us that if we want to be growing in wisdom, we need to be understanding the Lord's will. That's what he says in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, when we think of God's will and trying to understand God's will, often what we think about is trying to figure out the circumstances of our life. Whether I should take this job or that job. Whether I should go to this school or that school. Whether I should look for a spouse with this characteristic or that characteristic. What kind of car to buy. Right? Those, that's not wrong to think about God's will for those things. But when Paul talks about God's will, he is talking about something bigger. He's talking about something more holistic. He's talking about God's ultimate will and purpose for his people. His moral purpose and design and desire for us. Our own Westminster Shorter Catechism helps us understand that. What is the chief end of man? What is God's chief purpose? What is God's chief will for man? Class? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's God's will. That's God's purpose for His people. That we would grow in our understanding of who He was, who He is. That we would grow in our love for Him and our trust in Him. Such that we would have lives that would glorify Him and truly enjoy Him. That we would understand and believe and trust the gospel of grace. And that we would grow more and more into the people that God wants us to be. That we would be conformed more and more... To the image of our Savior that we would be growing in holiness. 
That's what understanding the Lord's will is, that we would be growing in our understanding of God's ultimate purpose and how we are to be growing in holiness. And notice this, this word that he uses, understand, that we would understand the Lord's will. That word has more of a sense, not just understanding the facts. It's also laying hold of those facts such that they grip our hearts and our imaginations in such a way that our lives are changed. So it's not simply that we are growing in our understanding of the Lord's will and His grand purpose of redemption and making us more and more holy, but that we so understand it and believe it that we lay hold of it and it actually changes how we live. That's part of growing in wisdom. That's part of how we walk close, uh, carefully, how we look carefully at how we walk. Now, how do we know what the Lord's will is? Where does God reveal His will to us? It's in the Word. So part of the way that we can grow in understanding the will of the Lord, part of the way that we grow in understanding of uh, becoming more wise is by spending time in the Word. By reading the revealed will of God to us of all that He has accomplished and all that He is doing in and for us. That's part of what it means to grow in wisdom. It's part of what it means to grow in our ability to look and to watch carefully how we walk. There's a second part here about growing in wisdom. It's not only understanding the Lord's will, but he also talks about something else in verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Growing in wisdom is not only that we grow in understanding the Lord's ultimate moral purpose and design and will for us, but it also involves us paying attention to how we use our time. If you grew up on the King James Version and you memorized this verse in particular, you'll know that instead of it saying here, making the best use of the time, it is redeeming the time. That's actually a good translation because the, the language that Paul is using here is, is marketplace language. It's the idea of going and purchasing or buying back something that you can then use and to, to have to your advantage. And the idea that he's talking about here is that we are redeeming the time. We are buying back the time to make the most of it, to use it to our greatest advantage. And he gives us the reason why that should be important to us at the end of verse 16. It's because the days are evil, he says. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he's contrasting the current age in which he lives and that we live now with the age to come. The age to come when Jesus returns, when all evil will be completely not only defeated, but removed from creation. But now in this present age, we live when Satan has been defeated, but still has influence. There is still evil in this world, even as we prayed through Elder Jock's prayer this morning. There is still real evil that happens in this place. We, we live in an evil age. And, and Paul is saying, because we live in an evil age, it's all the more important for us to be intentional, for us to be purposeful with how we spend our time. To make the best use of it. To redeem it. The time that God has given that we might spend it growing in our wisdom. Growing in our holiness. The sense here is being proactive and doing those things that help us to grow. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't take vacations. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy spending time reading a good fiction book. It doesn't mean that we can't have downtime. It doesn't mean we can't play a round of golf. 
But what it does mean is that we are spending our time intentionally with purpose. That we're thinking about it. That, 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 that we are living in such a way that we are thoughtful about how we spend our time. That we're redeeming it and using it for the glory of God. And so that we might grow more and more into the people of His pleasing. It means that we're not mindlessly binge watching television. It means that we're not thoughtlessly scrolling through social media. It means that we're not foolishly and endlessly arguing with people online about theology and politics. Now, talking with people about theology and politics in even a spirited way can be a good thing. Using social media can be a good thing. Watching television can be a good thing. But the point that Paul is making here is that it needs to be intentional. We need to be thoughtful about it. We need to be purposeful about how we're doing everything. Such that we might truly be glorifying God and growing in our wisdom. Growing in our understanding of the Lord's will. If we're doing all of those things to the exclusion of the means of grace that God has given to us. That we might grow in our wisdom. Then something is out of whack. Paul says, if you want to grow in wisdom, you need to pay attention to how you're using your time. So this is the first thing that he mentions about how we can to look carefully about how we walk, how we live out our Christian lives. We need to be growing in wisdom. That is understanding the Lord's will and being careful about how we use our time. There's a second thing that he mentions here, and it begins in verse 18. Another way that we look carefully about how we walk. He says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but... Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now before we think about what that looks like, let's talk about what it means. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It's a really fascinating way that Paul's putting this together. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now that verb, be filled, is a present, passive, imperative Now, for those of us that don't remember our elementary English, let's just go over that real quickly. It's present tense. That means that it's now and continuing. It's something that is ongoing. And it's an imperative, which means it's a command. It's something that we are commanded to do. But it's passive, which means it's something that is done to us. You see how odd what this is that Paul is saying. We are to be regularly and continuously... Having something done to us. Well, what is it that he says? We are to have the Spirit filling us. In other words, what he is saying here is that we are to regularly and continuously be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Note he says that it is with the Spirit. That's a fine translation of the Greek there. It can be translated with the Spirit. It can equally uh, as well be translated as by the Spirit. Both of those are perfectly possible in the Greek. If it's translated with the Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit is the content of what fills us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. He is, he is in us. He dwells in us. If it's by the Spirit, it means that He is the one who does the filling. It is by the work of the Holy Spirit. And both of those aspects are true. 
But given the context here of what Paul is saying, I think it's best to understand what he's saying here, that we are doing, we are being filled by the Spirit, that we are regularly and continuously to be influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit as He fills us and indwells us. And as we try to understand what he's saying here about this, note that Paul contrasts it with being drunk. Now, why does he do that? Being drunk, he says, leads to debauchery. And that word, debauchery, means to abandon oneself to reckless, immoral behavior, to be out of control. You see what he's saying here? If you're drunk, you are under the influence, under the control, as it were, of a foreign substance, of alcohol. You can have certain brain functions suppressed to a certain degree, which can then make you talk and act differently. Now, it may have been a problem in the, the church in Ephesus. Or Paul may have simply been pointing out uh, the cult worship of the Greek god Dionysus that the city of Ephesus was known for during that time. Worship of the Greek god that involved copious amounts of alcohol. But the point that he's making is, is that if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, then you are to be under the influence, not of alcohol or some other substance, but of the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be under the continual and regular influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul mentions three things in the passage. One in verse 19, one in verse 20, and one in verse 21. The first thing he mentions is in verse 19. He says that we are to be, uh, that, that, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. Isn't that interesting? As he describes what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit... To be filled by the Spirit, the first thing he mentions is music. The first thing he mentions is singing. And do you notice that there's both a horizontal and vertical dimension of what he's talking about? Look again at what he says at the beginning of verse 19. We are to be addressing who? One another with psalms and, 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 and spiritual songs. That's this idea that we are to be singing to one another. God's truth and the truth of God's word, we are to be singing to one another, reminding one another of those truths. It's what we do in part every week when we gather for corporate worship. We're singing the truth to one another, reminding each other, encouraging one another. Now, I get the privilege because I'm facing you all each week of hearing that we have a full range of ability of singing here at Trinity Presbyterian Church. There are some that rightly could stand in front of an audience and charge admission to hear them sing. And then there are the rest of us that perhaps don't sing quite as well. But God uses all of it. He uses it as we sing to one another and remind one another of what is true and encourage one another. There's also a vertical aspect. At the end of verse 19, he says, not only are we addressing one another, but at the end of verse 19, he says, we are to be singing and making melody to the Lord in our heart. First and foremost, as we gather together to worship, God is our audience. We sing and we worship Him. 
And think about that in terms of what that means that we as God's people are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, by God himself dwelling within us, causing us to praise and sing melodies to our, in our heart to him. You see that wonderful picture of how we gather together as God's people and we are the very instruments by which God assembles his symphony to receive the praise and worship that he so deserves. That should heighten our sense of what we do as we gather together as God's people. The depth of that wonderful truth that we indeed are singing the praise of God as he is enabling us to sing. So it has both this horizontal as well as a vertical sense. That we are to be singing. That's part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. As I was thinking about that this past week, my mind went back to the beginning weeks of November and the death of Daniel Parney. And I was reminded of that Sunday that we gathered right after the tragedy of his death where we kind of scrapped our worship plans and decided to focus on Psalm 46. Jock didn't know I was going to mention that, but how he began the prayer this morning with that reminder of the fact that our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I was reminding myself of the hymns that we sang during that worship service. We sang A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We sang Rock of Ages. Dear refuge of my weary soul, my faith looks up to thee. And then a couple days later, we gathered together for the funeral and we again sang a mighty fortress and we sang it is well with my soul. We sang amazing grace. Do you understand what was happening? God's people were singing to the Parnies. The Parnies were singing back to us. One to another, we were singing God's truth to each other because we needed to be encouraged. We needed to be reminded of what was true even in those dark days when we can't understand what's happening. And that's part of what we do is we, we raise our voices together and we sing to one another. We point one another, one another to the truth when we don't have the strength to believe it ourselves. We listen to our brothers and sisters in Christ encourage us. And we turn our voices and our attention heavenward and we give praise to God. We cry out to Him when we don't understand and we give Him praise and honor even in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's part of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're speaking to one another and to the Lord with music, using the full range of music that God gives to us, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that we would share the truth of the word, encouraging one another, lifting one another up and sing and make melody to the Lord in our hearts, worshiping him. There's another aspect of what it means to be filled with the spirit. And Paul gives us that in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit means to be people who are filled with thanksgiving. And did you notice that Paul gives us four aspects of that thanksgiving? When is it to be given? Always, he says. That's in all circumstances. Good times and bad. And... For what are we to give thanks? What does he say? For everything. Things we like. Things we don't like. Things we understand. Things we don't understand. And to whom are we to give thanks? He says it is to be given to God the Father. And how are we to do it? It is 
through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll say that one verse deserves a sermon all by itself to unpack all of that. But can we just say this morning, just acknowledge how really hard it is to do what Paul's saying here? Especially the always and for everything parts. At times, as God's people, we are at a loss to know how to do that. Which is why we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us, enabling us and helping us. So as Paul is reminding us, part of what it means to live spirit-filled lives, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to live lives that are full of thanksgiving to God in all circumstances and in all situations. And when we can't see how to do that, we cry out with Paul, as he said in Romans 8, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we can't figure out how a particular circumstance or situation in our lives is to move us to be thankful to have thanksgiving, then we cry out to the Lord and we say, Holy Spirit, give us an understanding. Take what we are praying and translate it through the groanings that are too deep for words into that which is pleasing in the presence of the Father. The last and third thing that Paul mentions here about what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit is in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Most commentators believe that verse 21 serves as a bridge from what he's talking about in verses 15 through 21 to what he's going to be talking about in verses 22 and following that we're going to get to in the coming weeks. Part of what this verse is talking about submitting to one another has to do with what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. And part of what he's saying here about submitting to one another is going to be applied into the various contexts that he talks about in the coming verses. So what does it mean when he says that part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit is that we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? He's not talking about some kind of general submission of everyone to everyone all the time. How do we know that? Because the word that he picks here for submitting to one another is the word that was often used to describe soldiers lining up in their ranks. And what he's talking about here is this idea of submitting to those who are rightly, appropriately, in authority over us. Paul's saying being filled with the Holy Spirit partly means that Christians submit to those who are in roles of authority over them. Now he's going to unroll that and unpack that for us in the coming weeks as we look at various scenarios in the final verses of of the, the book of Ephesians. But this is what it means, he says. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. We are singing to one another and to the Lord. We are giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are rightly submitting to one another those roles of authority over us for the sake and reverence of our Savior Jesus. So this is what Paul says it means to look or to watch carefully how we walk. This is how we're supposed to pay close attention and to be diligent in how we walk out the principles of our faith in the world. First of all, we ought to be growing in wisdom. 
Understanding more and more of the Lord's will for us and being intentional about how we use our time. And then secondly, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled by the Holy Spirit, regular, continual, being influenced and controlled by the work of the Spirit in our lives. That's evidenced by singing to one another and singing to our Lord by giving thanks and submitting as we are called to do so. So as we finish, let me ask you this question. How are you doing? How are you doing with what he's described here in these verses? If we're willing to be honest, I think we can all say we struggle with these things, do we not? We, we certainly have not lived up to this standard this past week. And so we want to know, well, how, we, how can we do better? What, where, where's the power to do better in, in, in living this way and in, in being people who are closely watching how we live? There's a very interesting passage in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. In this passage, Jesus has gathered together a number of his disciples, 72 of them actually. And he commissions them and sends them out to go into the local towns and areas around and to preach the gospel. And he sends the Holy Spirit to be with them. And they go out into these towns and they watch and they see the Holy Spirit at work through them such that evil is suppressed and the gospel of grace goes forth with power. And then they come back to Jesus and we're told by Luke that they come back with joy in their hearts because they've been watching how God has been at work through them through the power of the gospel. And then we read this as Jesus reflects on what's happening around them. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear what brought Jesus joy in that moment? We're told that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He was filled by the Holy Spirit. What was it that caused Jesus to, to, to be filled with joy of the Holy Spirit? It's as he reflected about how the gospel of grace was going out. It's as he reflected on how, how the gospel of God's grace and mercy through his own work that was going to be accomplished on the cross was going out with power such that people were being changed. And as he reflected on what was happening, on what God was doing, he himself was filled up with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he told his disciples, you have no idea how blessed you are. You are getting to see and to hear things that prophets and kings wish they could hear. If we want to do a better job of watching closely how we live as Christians... 
If we want to grow more and more in wisdom and be filled more and more by the Holy Spirit, if we want to be people who sing the truth of the Word of God to one another and praise to our Lord, if we want to give thanks always and in everything and truly and joyfully submit to those God puts in authority over us, then like Jesus, we need to think more and more and reflect more and more on the wonder of His Gospel. That we would reflect more and more on the person and work of our Savior and the grace that is ours through His work on the cross. We need to be making use of the tools, the, the, the means of grace that God has given to us to work that into our hearts. So that God's grace and love would be worked more and more into our hearts and minds and lives such that we truly would love Him and trust Him and obey Him and follow Him and have joy in Him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have promised in your word that you give us the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would give us a a greater apprehension of what that means. That you would cause us, Father, to have a a true desire to, to watch carefully how we walk in this in this life. That you would fill us with an increasing wisdom of your will and how we are using our time and that you would truly fill us with the Holy Spirit such we might live as Paul is describing in these verses. Draw our hearts and our minds closer to you, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.